this is probably super wrong. I think I'm lying to you. I think I'm just like telling you something that I dreamed once. Probably, <laughs> but there is something. <laughs> March Madness is not, and especially the bride reputation segment is not necessarily one for facts. We're not. We're not evidence for last. That is so true. We did imply that Brad Pitt had Hep C from sticking his sniffer where it didn't belong. I do not want. Uh, to be sued. I think the like logical conclusion to this podcast is getting sued by Brad Pitt. Don't shift your way. Don't stare. And for God's sake, whatever you do. Hello and welcome to March Bradness. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. This is the world's only March Madness-style Brad Pitt-themed podcast, where every episode we pit two Brad Pitt movies against one another in a quest to find the ultimate Brad. Today's episode, we're pitting Interview with the Vampire against The Mexican. Uh, this is not, I repeat, not a spoiler-free podcast. Brad Pitt is in all of both of these movies. He's in the beginning, he's in the middle, and he is in the end. And in order to get a full picture of the Bradness, we have to talk about all three of those parts of the movie. Uh, so if you are a big weenie baby and you don't want to be spoiled for these movies that came out in the mid-90s, stop listening to this podcast, go watch them, come back, let us know if you agree with our thoughts on them or not. Today, we are going to be joined by the gang, Joe, Jack, and Maya, and we also have a very special guest, Rosemary Valero Connell. She's a Minneapolis cartoonist and illustrator. She's done work for the Lumberjanes series with Boom Studios, DC Comics, cover art for Steven Universe, and she's currently working on the graphic novel, Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. Uh, And she owes it all to Interview with the Vampire, and probably Brad Pitt. So stay tuned for that. So first we're going to be talking about Interview with the Vampire. Hannah has some opinions on this movie. Mm-hmm. The opinions are it's bad and I hate it. I've watched it. I've had to read the book for school a couple of times. It's just not good. This was my first time watching this movie. I had been hearing about this one a lot in terms of the Bradness. It kept getting brought up. I think it, it was pretty much what I thought it was going to be. You know, you got your, you got your fake gay dads. You got sexy vampire neck biting. Uh, Do you want to give a quick plot run-through of this movie? Interview with a Vampire is about this vampire named Louie. That's Brad Pitt. Yeah, Brad Pitt, who is a vampire from New Orleans who owned a plantation. And then his wife and child, I think, died. And he was really, really angsty, really sad, suicidal. And then he gets turned into a vampire. And the rest of the movie, nothing happens. That's uh, pretty much it. He teams up with Tom Cruise, who is Lestat, who is, I would argue, a sociopathic vampire. Mm-hmm. Gets a real kick out of the vampire thing, and I would say that the, the major turmoil of this movie is that Brad does not want to be a bad guy. And uh, Tom Cruise is like, woohoo, let's go kill, kill people. people. And then midway through the movie, they adopt, well, they turn this girl, Claudia, Claudia into a vampire. Played by Kirsten Dunst. Who fucking kicks ass at this role. And then she's their badass vampire daughter, and hijinks ensue, but not in the fun way. Sort of. Hijinks tepidly ensue. (laughs) It's really long. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I had trouble following the plot, even though I'm notoriously uh, bad at watching movies. (laughs) Even though Sarah's not an active listener. I'm not, but I try my best every day, and that's what really counts. That's true. So without further ado, we are going to be joined by the Marvelous Gang, and we're going to talk about this movie. So stay tuned. 
I have another quick note about the audio in this segment. Uh, despite our best efforts, one of our audio files got weirdly corrupted. I'm going to go ahead and blame it on the curse of the interview with the vampire, but I wanted to let you know that it just affects the upcoming part and not the whole episode, so bear with us. We're learning. I'm Maya. Joe. I'm Jack. Interview with the Vampire is a 1994 R-rated film. Runs about two hours. Two hours that literally feel like five. As I've said in multiple episodes, I fucking hate this movie. Which is actually pretty funny because Rosemary's not here right now, but we watched it with Rosemary, who's like an aficionado of Interview with the Vampire. This movie, and I guess the novel too, like, they're not going for, like, historical accuracy or anything. Like, they're definitely going for this weird, erotic period thing where a romanticized idea of what it was like to live back then like everyone's wearing shirts with huge sleeves and really really elaborate fabrics that was probably my favorite part yeah the costumes were good i think they got the bafta for that and best cinematography i'm starting to think that (laughs) the criteria for best cinematography is does the movie have shots of brad in the same way that this is a period movie that has no real period it's like his voice is like it's very like formal and like but Maybe maybe there is some sort of British thing happening every every once in a while. <laughs> exactly. How can I put you at ease? Shall we begin like David Copperfield? I am born. I grew up. Or shall we begin when I was born to darkness, as I call it? That's really where we should start, don't you think? I think it's really worth noting that Brad Pitt talked about how he was really depressed making this whole movie. Which is, like, super evident. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do yeah, not want to be there. You could see him just standing in the corner like, God, when will this end? He's, Which he's is... there to, like, stand in for the viewer's um, potential dislike of, like, oh, I'm not really into all this sexy vampy killing stuff. Uh, but I'm gonna yeah. do yeah, it. But, like, okay, like, I totally understand the need for an audience surrogate. But, like, like something has to happen. He can't yeah. just be there. He doesn't have opinions. He doesn't do action. He's not even, like, really that conflicted about anything or right. confused. There's... He just sort of goes... Going along with whatever's happening, and it's it doesn't. For about the first half of the movie, it was I was saying like Tom Cruise needs a companion who's as fully invested in this period fantasy drama as he is. Otherwise, this movie is falling flat, and they finally get it when Kirsten Dunst gets turned. But Brad Pitt never picks up the slack at any point. No, he just sort of stands there and is like weird 90s contact with his his lips parted, just sort of like mm-hmm. he it's. They don't know how to do two starring roles in a movie without them being, like, romantic. Like, they're the same character, like, the same dude. They're just two dudes. And they don't don't know how to write them to, like, do things. Also, the story is bad, and the conflict is uninteresting. Yeah. That that is also (laughs) true. (laughs) They're not really giving them a lot to work with. It's worth noting that the screenplay was written by Anne Rice, who wrote the original novels. It's her first screenplay. Screenplay format is not conducive to writing because everything is so present tense in the action and you can't write down anything that the camera can't pick up. And for an author who's doing a lot of like internal work, that doesn't fucking work as a movie. The only redeeming part of this movie, aside from the fabrics, is child <laughs> Kirsten Dunst. Yes. She's a baller. phenomenal and slays and has like 
you know, grown ass adult arguments with yeah. Brad Pitt about like, dude, our life our life sucks. Like us vamping around together, this isn't good. The second and third act all revolve around them making this child a vampire and then like raising it, but like she doesn't grow old. She doesn't grow, her so hair like, never grows. She's like she twelve forever. It, it comes back to the same length right away. <laughs> she like has this temper tantrum because she's like, I'm cursed to be in this eight year old body, and she's been like an eight year old for like thirty years now. So she's like. 38, 40, and she gives herself, like, this sensible mom haircut, you know? She, like, cuts off all of her ringlets and stuff, and she's like, I'm 40! And then it all grows back, and she, like, screams and cries and lights a bunch of stuff on fire and stuff. It's, like, intense! She was the only one in that movie that was taking any action. She was, like, beating up... Is it Lestat? Lestat? Who cares? I don't fucking know. I'm still hung up on the Lestine, fact that... Lestine, Lestine. <laughs> I'm hung up on the fact that Brad's name was Louie. <laughs> and the next movie, his name is Jerry. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I wanted to see a lot more, like, gay sex in this movie, actually. I think that yeah. a, a, an actual romance between Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt's characters would have made any kind of emotional core to their relationship instead yeah. they just continue to hang out inexplicably and like right. they're always Definitely. fighting they're always getting mad at each other it's like you don't have to hang out you don't have to hang out like it, it would make sense if they were boning and also like there are so many moments where they're like basically cheek to cheek like oh yeah like <laughs> we got queer baby. it was super <laughs> queer baby can i read this thing that i found on yeah, nice.com yeah. no uh, section called study questions for interview with the vampire oh no number one over the years rice has been asked why she chose the vampire as her hero if you were rice how would you answer this question <laughs> two why did she write a metaphysical thriller using b-movie motif three <laughs> what is postmodernism <laughs> how is interview with the vampire a postmodern novel oh, and then this is the last one i'll read because it's i think my favorite number four Discuss in what ways, if any, Rice's characters transcend gender. Are the characters involved in polymorphous sexuality? Just admit you did it because you thought it was hot. If Anne Rice was like, I wrote this vampire novel because I wanted to write about sexy vampires who gay adopted vampire child because it's my kink, I've been like, all right, sure, Anne, but she's, like, this fucking, what way is this postmodern? Shut up. Yeah. But then keep going. It's just it's go all the way and yeah. have them fucking making out and punching each other more, because yeah. that's clearly the dynamic she's going for. Go a little farther than butterfly kisses. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about when Brad and Kirsten make the trip to Europe and hang out with French vampires and what that whole scene is about. And then Antonio, <laughs> Antonio Banderas showed up. Antonio. He's sort of a leader of a more woke offshoot. There was a point where the French vampires are like, we need to kill Kirsten Dunst because she's too young to be a vampire and that's wrong. So they leave her out in the sun with another woman. The one scene where it looks like Brad oh, yeah. Pitt has a conscience and is and taking an action. Yeah, the only scene. Yeah, the only scene where Brad that fucking does anything is when he's lighting the French catacombs on fire and he's like, ah. That was awesome. I really appreciated Antonio Banderas' role. He had the most amount of charisma, I think. Well, maybe besides Kirsten Dunst. So he shows up like at the end of the movie, and you're like, wait, bring him in two hours earlier. Please. Yeah, yeah, he's got a little swag. He doesn't just do that, like. Tom Cruise, like, flip the switch, and now I'm at full no, volume. Now I'm, now I'm mode. I think, too, like, the introduction of Antonio Banderas gives Brad more to do and, like, play with if you had given Brad, like, which side of vampirism do I choose? At least he'd have, like, a more substantial, like, thing to interact with. 
Maybe he wouldn't have gotten depressed while filming. My favorite part was when Brad Pitt was crying and eating a rat. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so like Brad Pitt, when he, at the beginning, of, after he's turned, he's like, I don't want to eat people. I don't feel okay with that. So he's like killing dogs and rats. Chickens. And <laughs> he breaks into a chicken coop and eats all the chickens. Yeah. Yeah, just like, was walking down these sad Louisiana streets and just grabs a rat and is like... <laughs> Everybody's Me too, Brad. so interested in the moral qualms of vampires. Like that's what we go to the movies for. So what? One thing about Brad is that when his like deathly vampy pallor was on display, so in the more well lit uh, scenes after he's turned, he's, he's pretty ugly. He does not have that Edward Cullen like hot sickly thing. It's oh, like yeah. it's more like dude, like like he's got this, doctor. Well, they they put with the makeup, they put this big old vein running down. The oh, head. that was horrible. Yeah, I couldn't like, look at anything else. Is that a is that covered? I think so. The vampire. This vampire is fully interviewed. Start a fight club, Brad reputation. So we are here with Rosemary Valero Connell. <laughs> Hello, it's an <laughs> honor and a pleasure to be here. You're replacing Brad Reputation. You are Brad's reputation. <laughs> I mean I've always known this and I'm glad the good people have been told it. Would you consider yourself an expert on Interview with a Vampire? It feels cocky to say yes, because I'm an expert on the film in Interview with a Vampire. I don't think I can claim expertise on, like, the full volume of, like, the world that Anne Rice has so lovingly built with, like, the Vampire Chronicles series. Because I know for a fact that there are people that are just, like, balls deep in this lore in a way that I could never hope to be. Maybe that's what's beautiful about this world, is you can go as deep in any subject as you want, and nobody can stop you. I mean, I think the fact that Interview with a Vampire is the best movie that's, like, ever been made <laughs> has helped a lot to kind of create uh, a fan base around it. <laughs> These are very bold claims. I'm starting out strong. I'm sticking to my guns. <laughs> I fight for what I believe in, and I fight for my friend Brad Pitt. <laughs> Are you are you aware that you have some strong opposition mm. to this claim? You have strong opposition in this room. <laughs> so I have two beliefs. I believe in two things. One of those things is that this movie is fantastic and a masterpiece. And the other thing is that this movie is just not good. Just objectively not good. Like, I, I, I understand fully. I love Interview with a Vampire. I'm also not, like, a complete and utter buffoon. My, I mean, my... I see Interview with a Vampire through such a thick, like, impenetrable lens of nostalgia that, like, it is just fully impossible for me to be objective about it because it, like, it came into my life when I was 18, a young, impressionable teen, and Interview with a Vampire is, like, melodramatic in a very self-serious way in, like, the way that every teen in the world is. So, I don't know, if it crosses your path at the wrong time or the right time, it just, like, will get its hooks in you forever. So you could say that, like, you are a vampire of this film. <laughs> I like... could say that I am the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I am the vampire. The, the vampire being interviewed. <laughs> I shouldn't be more public with this than I've already been. I did dress up as Lestat the vampire this last Halloween. I do have the wig under my bed. <laughs> I could have worn... Actually, you know what? This is an audio medium. Nobody knows that I'm not wearing it right now. You're in full costume. It's it's it looks just like Tom Cruise. <laughs> I've actually filed my real teeth specifically for oh, this interview. One of those. Are you aware of the real vampire community? Yes. 
She knows. She knows. She knows. I want oh. to be turned so, so badly to be bitten by a person that thinks that they're a vampire so that I can pretend to be a vampire for the rest of my life. My full address and social security number will be in the description. Find me. Make me one of you. This is a power move, though, because now nobody can blackmail you. You're just putting it out there. It's Everything true. laid bare. So I think I think going as a character for Halloween definitely like I think that's your proof as an expert. Mm-hmm. Would you say that you identify with Lestat more than Louis Brad no, Pitt's character? No, not at all. I I am perhaps the exact opposite of everything that Lestat is in that he's the coolest and I'm a weird nerd. But Halloween is the time of dreams. No, I am I am more akin I would say to Brad Pitt's character in this because I'm melodramatic and I cry a lot and I have long dark hair. Have you ever eaten a rat? Um, I'm eating a rat right now. <laughs> She's also crying. <laughs> and these are two things that I am always doing at any given How old were you when you first experienced the interview? <laughs> when I was first interviewed? Um, first... I think I was probably like seventh grade, mm-hmm. which is like peak time to love bad things. Yeah. And like... The rest of my interests were, like, the Phantom of the Opera movie and, like, (laughs) Welcome to the Black Parade, so this just, like, fit right, like, I, it felt like I'd been waiting for this movie my whole life, and it just kind of fit perfectly into my heart. (laughs) See, it's it's fascinating because I first saw this movie around the same time, sixth or seventh grade, and it was, it was a sleepover staple with me and some of my, like, my best friends in middle school. It was Interviews of Vampire, The Lost Boys... Uh, Newsies, which is like one of those one of those things is not like the other ones. <laughs> and then, depending on who was also at the sleepover, there's like a revolving fourth person, uh, like Rent or something. You know, gotcha. your class or Phantom. What a lineup! Like, what a yeah. When you're, when are It was that classic 2007 right, right. misfit kid buffet. But even then, I was like way more into the Lost Boys than I ever so was into interview. Broken is what you're telling me. There's yes, something more maybe I'm just wrong. <laughs> what I'm seeing here is two paths branching off in a forest. <laughs> two roads diverged in the yellow wood. Yeah. But have come back around. Yeah. You know? I think so. I'd like to think that we can overcome these differences. I mean, I'm hugely proud for the, like, blossoming friendship between us, like, despite the fact that you, you hate what is most dear to me. <laughs> I, I, I am really willing to look past this glaring... <laughs> My personal flaw. This massive just like... (laughs) Definitely. I think that's beautiful. Um, How do you feel about Brad's role in this movie? See, this is the thing that has been like tearing me apart about doing this segment of this podcast is that I love Interview with a Vampire. I would die for Interview with a Vampire. I want to be buried with a copy of Interview with a Vampire. It's not the best Brad. It is not the best Brad role. Like, it is absolutely Tom Cruise's world, and Brad Pitt is just living in it in this movie. I don't know, like, I mean, how did you guys feel about that Brad? Like, that... Disappointing. Yeah. A little, a little hot? Can we at least give him that? It's it for, like, five minutes when, of the movie, like, a little hot. In the beginning, when his hair is, like, kind of wavy mm-hmm. and, like, loose, very good. Okay. But when he, like, slicks it back in, like, 1980-whatever, when he's talking to Christian Slater... Repulsive. <laughs> That's my review. <laughs> what about okay? What about that moment when he almost kisses Antonio Banderas? How do you feel about that? Give me a Yelp review of that single second. Two point seven five three. 
Three out of five? How? No pleasing you. All I can think of in that scene is Brad's blue forehead vein. (laughs) You know, the forehead vein really pulls you out of it. That's how you know someone likes you, though. Oh, shit. No one's ever liked me, but... (laughs) I think an interview he's surrounded by like a cast of actors that are like hamming it up and like diving into their characters that are all to be fair much more characters that are a lot easier to dive into like Louis is a narrator and Louis is like a he sort of gives us a human perspective within the like it's so much easier for Tom Cruise to do what he does with Lestat like there's not much to yeah. do with Louis yeah no Louis is definitely the straight man he's definitely not a man with a personality mm-hmm. I guess, other than sad. <laughs> I think an older Brad could have yeah. done a better Current job. Brad. Well, maybe they'll do... Do they, are they going to do more ever? Um, I mean, okay, so Anne Rice just released basically, like, Lestat goes to Atlantis, the lost city of Atlantis. What? Um, yeah, no, for, like, she's written a million books. They're all ridiculous. Like, her commitment to just like doing whatever she wants to do anything that crosses her brain with her her characters and her stories is unparalleled it's fantastic that's aspirational no yeah Anne Rice I love Anne Rice her like horniness for her own characters is inspirational (laughs) she just wants to bone them she's is she the whole series like that's all that the vampire chronicles is is just her being like here's this super hot dude and he's gonna go everywhere and he's gonna fuck everyone (laughs) (laughs) is it true that lestat is in a rock band yes yes Lestat like is sort of dead for a while and at the beginning of is it the vampire lestat i think it is someone's gonna correct me if it's not he like comes out of his grave because he hears this like rock band playing and he's so into it that he just like comes back to life and like breaks into their house and is like I want to play music with you guys Holy shit. <laughs> can I be in your band and becomes like an international superstar wow this brings me to my second question mm-hmm. is he in a rock and rolling band when he goes to the Lost City of Atlantis. This I cannot answer truthfully because I have not read the latest installment where he does in fact go to the Lost City of Atlantis. I think he's he he retires from his, his rock and roll days. I think it's like a one book, two book type of deal. It's, it's a rich it's a rich text. It is. I think I think that we did a good job comprehensively covering this vast series of I mean what would you even call it it's it's more than a it's a chronicle a chronicle Rosemary, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm basically walking around every day with like a little sign on my neck that says, please ask me about anything to vampire, <laughs> and you have been the only people brave enough to take me up on that offer. So thank- I should be thanking you. Really. <laughs> so how can people find you in this cold, dark internet? <laughs> I'm not like Brad Pitt in any way, and I do have a Twitter. Um, you can find me at hi Rosemary Hello on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, if you're an art director and you're listening to this, you can look at my portfolio site on Um, and my old MySpace is probably still out there, so go hunting. Go harvest, um... Like a sewer rat. Like a sewer rat. Pick up up Rosemary's MySpace and eat it like a rat. rat. (laughs) Just chomp it like a rat. So, the Mexican. This movie is legendarily terrible. (laughs) We have high hopes. Okay, like, to be fair... The first, like, five minutes, I was sold, you know? We opened the movie, Brad, shirtless in bed. He's gonna take one last job. What's right? his job? 
Guys, he works with like a secret agent of some kind. Like, secret agent? I thought he was like drug running. Was he a drug? Was guy? he like an arms dealer? Guy? I was pretty like, sure he was so... working for some sort of uh, criminal organization. The fact that we are specifically focusing on Brad Pitt and recording a podcast about it, and none of us can tell you what Brad Pitt's character's job was in this movie, is pretty good evidence to the fact that this movie sucks. He seemed to have many masters. Brad Pitt is living in LA with Julia Roberts. They're in a very turbulent relationship. Brad takes on one last job. Goes to Mexico to get this, like, legendary cursed gun. Called the Mexican. Called the Mexican. The curse of this gun is that it backfires, killing its owner instantly. This movie was intended to be, like, an indie movie, like, no stars, but then they say that Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts, who were, like, friends, wanted to work on a project together and, like, picked this one to do together, so it... They loved the script. Jack's shaking his head. And then it turns into a bloated, star-heavy pile of garbage with James Gandolfini playing a gay hitman. J.K. Simmons is Brad Pitt's boss. With J.K. Simmons with hair. So on one hand, we have Brad going to get this gun, traipsing around. And on the other hand, we have Julia Roberts and this gay hitman who are trying to find Brad to catch up with him. and Get the gun. To get the gun. Get the gun. Everybody's after this gun for no reason. Because it's fucking dope. Its chamber looks like a heart and it goes... It was a cool gun. It's trending on Twitter. <laughs> I got the sense that it was like made out of valuable materials as well. Like Maybe. It, looked, it looked pretty fancy, you know. Yeah. So this gun, in its first use, fucking kills the man um, that's trying to fire it, and then instead of melting it down and being ashamed of bad craft, the craftsman tries to make it work again, and it never does. This is like the the ultimate Russian roulette gun. For real. Uh, also, we we got this on DVD, and the DVD was taken. <laughs> From a blockbuster. May it rest in peace. Pour one out. But, like, in a way, that means that blockbuster really brought us. They did, but you know who really brought this movie to us? Cindy! Cindy Fesler. Cindy Fesler, we've reached out to you on Facebook. Please accept my friend request. We need to find you. We bought, like, five terrible Brad movies that were all owned by this mysterious Cindy Fesler. She had put a sticker inside all these DVDs. It's a printed sticker with her handwriting. She had these stickers manufactured. She owned The Mexican. She owned A River Runs Through It. Really, all the Who knows what else she's owned? We haven't opened the other ones yet. And we just want to know why. Well, she kept the good ones. You're right. She did sell the bad ones. So maybe Cindy does know what she's talking about. Maybe yeah. Cindy did her own March Brad. That's what I'm wondering. Oh, I think we have a competitor. So this movie was like at least an hour too long. Oh, absolutely. Oh my god. This movie could have literally been the first 15 minutes with Brad Pitt. He's in the big collar Brad range, I would say. Totally. He's like... This he's came out in March and Ocean's Eleven came out in December of 2001. Prime big collar Brad era. And he does a lot of like your classic like Brad playing like sort of like the dunce, you know? A little bit of a meathead. There's a lot of Brad punching the air, which is something that Brad does a lot in his movies, and it's great. And I feel like if Brad Pitt... Like, an interesting metric I'm finding is that if Brad Pitt is in a role where he can punch the air, he's great. He's stellar. He's so good. But... Like, Interview with a Vampire. Louis can't punch the air because he's too, like, repressed. Louis has so, like, two emotions. Brad's like, what am I supposed to do if I can't punch the air? Mm-hmm. <laughs> two emotions, crying and rat eating. <laughs> I gotta say, I really enjoy Brad as a failure. Yes. Yeah, really he li- plays a great loser. Yeah, 
I loved in the very beginning when he's throwing all of her stuff off the... No, she's throwing all his stuff off the balcony. Yeah. Baby, what are you doing? You said this was your last job, Jerry. What do you want me to say? I'm sorry I can't facilitate that request at this time. The old lady wants me to quit. Fuck off. Yes. Huh? Something like that. I'm not an insurance, sweetie. It's yeah. very strong. It's very defined, and I feel like he's bringing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's that aloofness. It's that loser, but still like a cool loser. Like a loser you'd want to hang out with. Yeah, we've, we've left boyish Brad, but we haven't yet got to husband dad Brad. So we're sort of yeah. in this like... Exactly. In this... Uh, Man child. Boyfriend Brad. <laughs> I, I mean, this character is just such a... He's just a total piece of shit, really. And he tries so hard to cover it up, and that's what's so wonderful to watch. And I wish there was more of that in this movie, because that part of it was genuinely entertaining. Yeah, this movie needed, like, 80% more Brad. My you made some comments fairly early in the movie about how you weren't sure what genre it was, or what it wanted to be, and I feel like those questions were never really answered. Yeah, it's like, half romantic comedy, half road movie... In the in the DVD, there's a little badly written copy thing about like the process of making the movie or whatever. And the director talked about how he liked how it was like two stories that mirrored each other, except they didn't. So it was just basically a movie that felt like two separate movies intermittently cut together. You know, because like I feel like Julia Roberts's kidnap heist movie with James Gandolfini was one movie, and Brad Pitt fucking up in the desert, gun runner who can't do anything right, was another movie. And either of those movies would have been like fine, mediocre, like airplane movies. You know, like put it on on Netflix while I clean movies. But when you mash them up together, they're not cohesive, and it doesn't make sense, and it's boring. I think the part of the movie that is the most interesting to talk about is the representational politics of James Gandolfini's character Mm -hmm. in The New Millennium, and where we were in terms of gay rights at the time. Like, it was probably pretty, like, people were congratulating themselves who made this movie. Like, well, we put a gay character in, it's so transgressive, but, like, he's also a murderer. To their credit, I think it's pretty interesting that the gay man that they chose was James Gandolfini who was like on Sopranos at the time and was sort of hyper-masculine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they kind of try to play with the fact that like, oh, you never would have thought this guy was gay and then it turns out partway through the movie he's gay. But like, I think that's actually, it's a gimmick but it's also weirdly enough kind of an okay representation and then it gets way worse <laughs> from there. They also Julia, kill his gay lover. All the tropes. And him. They both died. Julia Roberts <laughs> plays every straight woman ever. She's like super interested in what's his characters? I can't see James. Frank. Leroy. Frank Leroy. Oh, yeah. It was Frank Leroy was the for a while, guy. but then after Brad Pitt kills him, he's like, I met Leroy. Brad Pitt's woke in this movie again, kinda, because he's like, yeah. Leroy is like Black. black. He was African American. He was a person of color. <laughs> yeah, Brad Pitt. I will say too. A, a reoccurring theme is Brad Pitt's characters in these in his movies. Brad Pitt is always the most woke person, but only a little. Only a little. It's not like woke. woke. It's not like capital W hashtag woke. He's just like. It's well, almost, actually, I'd say it's exactly like yeah. It's only with the hashtag. I want to talk more about James Gandolfini's character. So let's talk about the scene in the diner where, yes. where it becomes known that yeah. he's, a, he's a homo. Then you get yeah. Julia Roberts leans across the table with the widest smile you've ever seen, and she's like, so do you have a boyfriend? And her eyes are like wide open. And, and she's just, like, I clocked you, motherfucker. Yeah, she's like, I got you. And then and then uh, cut to a scene where they're like dancing around in the hotel room and she's got like a feather you, boa. You forgot the part where she was offended that he said he wouldn't rape her. Oh and it was God. because he oh, wouldn't Jesus. rape her that yeah. she's like, I knew you were gay. 
Yeah, so the first time rape gets mentioned is when James Gandolfini is, like, kidnapping Julie Roberts, and she's like, are you going to kill me? And he's like, if everything works out, I probably won't have to. And she's like, are you going to rape me? And he's like, it's not likely. And then when they're at the diner, she's like, one of the ways that I knew you were gay is because you said that you wouldn't rape me. That's how you know. Let's talk about gaydar. <laughs> I mean, how else are you going to... Gonna get to that issue in 2001, I guess. Like, Jesus yeah, Christ! It's really they. The, you could you could just see the gears turning in the in the writers' room. Like, all right, how do we get to the exposition that the James Gandolfini character is gay? Oh, rape, I guess. Rape. <laughs> now that could have gotten cut from the movie entirely. This movie won a Glad Award. 2001. It, there were no other options, though. Like, I guess so. They were like, oh, they're the only movie with a gay person in it. <laughs> Never mind. So we've come a little bit further. We've yeah, taken we... a step. A, a step. I guess we got Moonlight. The timeline starts in 2001 when the Mexican came out. <laughs> and we're like, oh, a gay person. And then it ends when Moonlight came out. <laughs> now, now we have equal rights. We've peaked. So in terms of, yeah, the, there's a lot happening around the Brad, as there often is. Yeah, let's get back to the Brad. Oh so my this isn't Julia Roberts. Brad, Brad has um, some really bad hair throughout this whole movie. Oh, it's so bad. He's got, like, tons of product in it, but it's... The frosted tips, though. Frosted tips. Puka shell necklace. Puka oh my god, shell. Brad is always wearing two shirts. Yeah, long sleeve shirt, short sleeve shirt. I just, again... You have Brad Pitt, 2001 Brad Pitt, like, this is right after Fight Club, and you choose to show not one, not two, but three separate shots of J.K. Simmons' naked thighs? Like, what are you doing? On a toilet. On a toilet. Brad Pitt is right there, and you put him in two shirts? Two baggy shirts? You don't even get to see forearm. Give one of those shirts to J.K. Simmons, please. (laughs) Put him on his legs. Maya, you made a comment that, aside from Mr. and Mrs. Smith, this feels like the first time we've seen Brad being Brad, mm-hmm. and that it felt like kind of a lower-budget fight club Brad. Yeah, so he's got his uh, his swagger. He's playing like that doofus that we know and love, but it's still like, you still kind of want to be him a little bit. I really, I just think like the, the casting and writing is not doing any, any good for him. I want to really quick go back to the idea of Fight Club Brad, which I think gets thrown around as a metric a lot, which I think is interesting, but I think is a little skewed. I would put this Brad more closely to like an Ocean's Eleven Brad. Agreed. Yep. I think that Fight Club Brad is a prime example of like very dark there's a there's a darkness brad has to him and brad can do really well in these like goofy loser roles and then these really sinister like crazy dude roles Mm -hmm. and anything else like maybe not so much yeah i see well the brad in oceans 11 is a very mature brad though he seems to know what he's talking about this one seems to be like if brad and oceans and mr this is like a mr mrs smith brad i think i think that all those brads fight club brad and oceans 11 brad the thing they have in common that i think i'm picking up on in this movie is the sort of aloof quality Mm. like it, it takes different forms sometimes it's totally like shrimp cocktail brad and then sometimes it's like got that darker like I'm gonna kill you, Literal Fight Club uh, vibe. But it feels to me like a genuine Bradness. Definitely. Like, it it comes out of whatever role he's reading. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's present in this movie. This movie fucking sucks. But I think that Brad does sort of bring his own thing to it Mm -hmm. in uh, in a way that we haven't really seen with these uh, early 90s movies. The thing about the Mexican is I feel like I would enjoy watching the Brad movie if we cut out all of the Julia Roberts stuff. Because, like, I feel like a lot of, like, the confusing and frustrating and, like, shitty sociopolitical stuff is all in the Julia Roberts, James Gandolfini movie. 
the Brad movie existing in this film is just sort of like a confusing but like kind of fun series of mishaps classic like hero's journey of like have to get the gun but these things go wrong but eventually it works out and you think about like the way they handle like road movie i think like a movie that came out like five years later is like little miss sunshine indie movie road movie comedy but doesn't try to be super hollywood and i think that's what works for little miss sunshine but then this movie is like there's so much room in that script to make interesting choices Mm -hmm. and because it sounds like it wasn't a traditional hollywood big budget movie movie to begin with they had room to like make these things happen but they didn't they tried to make it look like so normal and i think ultimately this movie is like aiming to be in that weird like burn after reading territory where it's got some action but it also has like a lot of tongue-in-cheek and dry humor and Mm -hmm. performances and it never comes anywhere close i really want to i want to go back really quick to what maya was saying about little miss sunshine and like that offbeat hollywood non-hollywood movie aesthetic I read a really interesting article once about the manufactured quirkiness in Hollywood and Wes Anderson and the difference between the Wes Anderson genre of quirky, fun, offbeat movies and all of these like bad copies and like how they lack authenticity. And I feel like, because Royal Tannenbaums came out in 2001, which does a lot of like quirky movie with shitty people and it's still like enjoyable. And I feel like that got taken in this sort of genre of Hollywood film that's still a quirky indie movie that the Mexican, I think, is like a proto version of. I think, too, there's a mistake made where we literally jump directly into the action and there's no buildup of, like, an understanding of their relationship. Like, you could have had cut out... 10 minutes of Julia Roberts being shitty with James Gandolfini and replace it with 10 minutes of like us seeing the dynamic between Julia Roberts and Brad Pitt at the beginning. Yeah. It seems yeah. like from the end of the movie when they're driving off together and arguing that there isn't anything else to their relationship. I'm assuming this movie was written by a man because it's like I'm sure. it's such it a male conception man. of uh, romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like they don't actually love each other. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> but Brad Pitt, according to Julia Roberts, telling James Gandolfini was a considerate lover. Mm, so, mm-hmm. well, that solves everything. Yeah, that fixes yeah, it. If he's, if he's considerate as a lover, then you can get him to be considerate in life. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the easiest decision we've ever had to Absolutely. make. Absolutely. Does anybody think that Interview with the Vampire was the best, Brad? Rosemary no. Rosemary. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. I think the Mexican Brad is a very good He was great. I think Brad. that's one of my favorite Brads that we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Which again really speaks to March Bradness yeah. because this movie fucking sucks. It's horrible. And I think that the the I think interview with a vampire was one of the worst I maybe the worst Brad that I've seen so far. Definitely. Ooh, yeah. Cause he just didn't do anything. At least a river runs through it, Brad has that scene where he like sexy dances with that girl, you know? Or at least he was young. You can yeah. give him credit for being, like... I mean, he's still young in uh, Interview with the Vampire, but he's he old enough. He was young two years prior. Yeah. The Mexican um, is definitely a strong competitor for the worst movie overall that mm-hmm. we've mm-hmm. watched so far. Ever. But it's also... A the clear... Glad Award for worst movie. <laughs> 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 it's a clear winner for Brad, though. Yeah, yeah definitely. Agreed. Definitely a way better Brad. <laughs> And there's the Mexican's final nail in the vampire's coffin. Congratulations, the Mexican. We'll see you next round.
tune in next week for our next mini episode, a movie Brad Pitt should have been in. And tune in the week after that for our next official pitting, which is Thelma and Louise versus Cool World, featuring special guest John Walensky. If you like listening to us, you should let us know. Give us a good review on iTunes. That would really help us out. Tell your friends about us. Everybody loves the Bradness. And follow us on social media for updates, bonus content, all that good stuff. Our Facebook is March Bradness. Twitter is March Bradness. And Instagram is March.Bradness. And check out our website, MarchBradness.net, where you can contact us through our contact form, read associated blog posts. Um, We're going to have a really cool little story that Rosemary told us about her guinea pig. You have to hear the harrowing tale of this fat little guinea pig named Louie. <laughs> you won't believe what happens next. You won't believe what happens next. Yeah, we work really hard. Sarah worked really hard on the website. It's SEO optimized. It it's sure so is. Great. So look at it. Yeah. Uh, you can follow the bracket on said website. Make your own predictions. Print out copies. Pass them around to your office mates who are like, I wish there was another sports thing happening. Uh, you can be like, well... Jerry, here you go, and you can, like, communicate with your friends, make new friends, but keep the old. One is silver, but the other is gold. Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Earlier in this episode, I gave a shout-out to Blockbuster, which is a store near and dear to my heart, and it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, It maybe would still exist if uh, it had been around and sponsored this podcast. If you have a company or product you want us to sponsor, light us up. Let us know. And we can do that for you. And maybe, hopefully, you won't go the way of Blockbuster. I'm not saying that it'll guarantee save your failing business. But, you know, a thousand downloads can't be wrong. So, uh, yeah, let us know.